everyone, and welcome to Plastic Possibilities, a podcast produced by Plastics Today. I'm Norbert Sparrow, editor of Plastics Today, and my guest today is Jeremy Pafford from business intelligence firm ICIS, where he heads market development for North America. Resin pricing is one of our key coverage areas at Plastics Today, and since we've just begun the second half of 2022, I asked Jeremy to give us some insights on resin pricing trends. He recaps the first half of the year and outlines what he thinks might happen in the next six months. If you're a plastics processor or converter who buys plastic resin, I think you will find this conversation enlightening. A little bit scary, maybe, but there's also some glimmers of hope. Here's my conversation with Jeremy. Well, hello, Jeremy, and welcome back to the Plastic Possibilities podcast. Thank you for having me, Norbert. It's a pleasure. Well, I want to get your insights on the impact of inflation on the resin market and several other topics of interest, but let's begin, as is our custom, with resin pricing. Since we've now turned the page on the first half of 2022, can you give us a recap of the year so far? Well, inflation very much has played a role um, within the resin markets. Um, first and foremost, thanks to the you know the volatility that's been in upstream crude oil um, and natural gas and its knock-on effects within downstream markets uh, effect- connected to them, such as polymers. Um, but you know, broadly speaking, hopefully in some of these we may have seen a peak. I, you know, I think about um, you know. Overall, we're kind of in this brave new world of where, you know, crude oil prices are higher and are structurally now kind of set up to remain sort of high um, as compared to maybe like a pre-COVID time. Um, and, and that has led to some some strength in some of the in some of these uh, some of our resin markets um, that we might not have thought would be there before. Um, but, you know, looking forward. I think something like polyethylene, you know, it's probably probably has peaked. It's had some, you know, upstream pressures from from ethane prices, which chugged along hop, up higher with natural gas prices. Um, but you know, so it, it's had some surprising strength in pricing. But we feel like it probably that's probably peaked uh, and could see a little slow decline through the rest of the year. You know, one of the major drivers in that marketplace will be. Uh, adding three billion pounds of new capacity um, in the second half of this year, that inevitably will lead to some some pressure on margins um, and could lead to some lower pricing in there. You know, polypropylene prices have been falling, you know, uh, with an ease of supply tightness. Upstream propylene um, has been fairly weak there, um, and that's another marketplace where you're adding 2.15 billion uh, pounds of capacity this year. Uh, that's going to also push on margins. But, you know, not every market has been like that. We know that from from PET, where it seems like price increases have gone up all the time. They, you know, and now they're dealing with record upstream paraxylene prices and key feedstock and going into that. June PX prices set a record in the U.S. Um, so in mid-demand, that's been very, very strong. You know, we may have hit a peak there. It will, you know, slowly temper down, you know, through the rest of this year. But PX, but PET, excuse me, has surprised us for the past year and a half. And then you get into something like PVC, where we've had, you know, record high prices and such. And it feels like we may be finally at a top there. Um, we had r- record production in May of about above 1.5 billion pounds in in North America. Um, 
and we see some slackening demand coming from that. You know, right now we're starting to you know, what was just a couple whispers is now starting to hear a little bit more about some slackening demand downstream. That is definitely connected with uh, you know some of the economic activity that is slowing. Um, you know, and plays into what's happening with you know how inflation and the what policymakers and the stock market are doing and bond markets are doing um, in response to inflation and 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 what we see probably happening toward the end of this year is is, is a definite um, deceleration of the economy at least and maybe more. So that's um, so you uh, I guess a the theme throughout there is the uh, prices may have peaked. But can you tell us a little bit more about what you see happening for the rest of the of the year in the plastics resin market? Yeah, it very much seems like you know the 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 tea leaves show uh, at least a deceleration of 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 the strength of demand. Um, you know, there are going through the rest of this year. Every, all eyes are really on what the economy truly pans out to be. Um, we've had such resilient consumer demand uh, throughout the pandemic and through the first part of this year, uh, but there does come a point where consumers can't continue to, 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 to you know, shoulder these price increases. When we're filming that or recording this podcast today, we had the, the, the June number come out for inflation at 9.1%, beat expectations, biggest number in 40 years. Uh, wages are not growing at that speed. Okay, so that means that customer and consumers buying power continually gets reduced and that, that gets felt in the plastic supply chain. The feeling is that that's going to have more and more of an effect as we go forward here in the second half of this year. That's going to cause some loosening of demand uh, and that will reverberate back through the supply chain. However, I would point out within this that that typically would mean prices have to fall back, you know, fairly uniformly all the way up back to the supply chain, but probably not this time because the dynamics in the marketplace all the way up to crude oil are different. Right. Well, actually, that's a perfect transition to talk about inflation in a larger context. Uh, we all, of course, experience it painfully at the gas pump and at the supermarket. And as you mentioned, the plastic supply chain is not immune. So what is ICIS's viewpoint on where the major global economies are headed? Uh, well, right now, you know, we've we got a great um, global economist in, in Kevin Swift, who has many years in the chemical industry. Um, he he has his own proprietary set of indicators that he looks at and makes a percentage score um, uh, guesstimate on chances of a recession hitting the U.S. within the next 12 months. And he has it in the in the 40 percent range or high, uh, mid 40 percent range. Um, as of the end of last month, and he believes that with all the June numbers when they come in, he may have to bump that up to above fifty percent. Um, I, you know, the the inflation number that came out today, the high inflation number is not going to bump that percentage down. You look at the actions that central banks across the world, including the U.S., are doing to basically try to tamp down consumer demand and tamp down economic activity to curb inflation. 
that naturally is going to start to have an effect on demand that in demand you know decelerating or falling means that you have you know less economic activity than before naturally so that should lead to you know reductions in pricing it's going to cost um, suppliers to try to reduce prices to continue having the same volumes that they had before at least or grow them um but you look at from the U.S. perspective, there's growing signs that there's you know definitely going to be deceleration in economic growth. Growing signs that there's there could be a recession that comes here within the next 12 months. Europe, according to our economists, probably already in recession. China, depending on who you listen to, is is in recession. Um, it's just always difficult there because the government numbers and the real numbers can be so vastly different. Um, Broadly speaking, though, the world is is definitely going toward a period of slower growth, um, and that's a best-case scenario, most likely. Well, it's a perfect uh, opportunity to um, bring in the big squeeze, uh, which you mentioned in a post on LinkedIn in a recent newsletter. So this concept um, that you say uh, could in particular hurt certain segments of the plastic supply chain. So tell us what the big squeeze is and how it is going to function. Sure. Um, typically, when we've in the last 30 years, when we have had periods of economic deceleration of growth and or recession, um, that has led to uh, collapse, man, there have been some aspects of this, a, a very much a, a serious drop in pricing that would cascade across the supply chain. Um, I'll give you an example of you, know, you, you get into a recession, crude oil would fall, everything else would be falling along sides with it. So you would see your resin prices fall, you'd see the upstream prices fall. That would all, that was typically the way it worked. Crude oil was very much tied to the economic activity, pluses or minuses. This time around, though, it is there's a higher floor for where crude can drop because we have fundamentally changed the crude oil market because of the Russia-Ukraine situation and you and having Europe and the U.S. saying we're we're going to wean ourselves off of Russian oil and gas. Um, that doesn't mean that that gas goes off the, that, that that those products go off the market. But they wind up having to sell them somewhere else, and we and Europe have to source that same type of material that we're demand we want from somewhere else as well. It was optimized before the oil trade relatively. We have de-optimized it somewhat right now. That means it's going to be more costly for for those those trades to occur. We are going to have a higher floor for oil for it to work and drop. And we've seen oil prices drop recently, and that's been that's you know relatively good to see. We've seen other parts within the marketplace, though, that haven't been able to drop because there's still constraints in the market. I think about benzene, which is upstream of of of, of, of excuse me, polystyrene. It had record high prices. Paraxylene, what you were talking about earlier with PET, the record high prices. It's, it's harder for these things to flow back and truly have this, you know, uniform falling in prices amid a decelerating or recessionary environment because we're not going to be an optimized marketplace going forward. We don't have a global market like we knew pre-COVID now. And as long as Russia and its supply of key materials um, is basically persona non grata to the West, it's going to continue like that. 
because these are in general those upstream markets for gas and oil which affect everything in the plastic supply chain they are they're they're still relatively tight markets okay so little bitty changes in supply or demand have vast ripples across the entire ecosystem for those so we're going to be that way for a while and you know unless tomorrow we decide we're going to you know be buying russian oil gas naphtha etc those energy products we're going to be that way for for years if not decades possibly wow okay well um we see what the big squeeze is all about but are there certain resin markets that may be more insulated from it yes and two in particular um the u.s shale advantage very much bring some insulation in particular to U.S. polyethylene and U.S. PVC production. Um, basically because their feedstocks being ethane, they're tied to nat- the, the ethane price is tied to natural gas, which has had its own volatility amid the Russia-Ukraine stuff. We've been exporting a whole lot more natural gas to Europe, and that has led to increased pricing on, on, on Henry Hub natural gas. But broadly speaking, it has not had the ethane price has not had near the fluctuation and 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 um, crimping of margins for polyethylene producers um, here as 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 it was had for those that are based on naphtha and crude oil based feedstocks in Europe and Asia and such. In fact, in Asia, uh, we've had polyethylene margins go negative this year at times, um, basically. You lose money making polyethylene for some of those plants. U.S. has never been anywhere close to that. And going forward, should have that cushion as well. So the, so the USPE and PVC producers are going to still be in a pretty good spot, even in a place where downstream consumers are trying to push for lower prices and upstream they don't want to you know, lower the price nearly as much as consumers may be demanding. So that those that are in the middle that get squeezed, hence the big squeeze, um, the U.S. PE and PVC producers are actually in a pretty good spot to weather that out. Well, that's some good news. <laughs> um, but um, Lois, so assuming the big squeeze goes on for years, as you uh, mentioned, uh, it could. Um, is there any, are there any signs that listeners can look for to know if it is being averted or, in fact, ending? What I would say within this is. The analysis done with on this is based upon the current parameters of what we know, okay? And what typically occurs in times of great volatility um, such as these is innovation happens. This is the great incubator of when innovation occurs. 15 years ago, you couldn't convince anyone that we, the U.S., were going to be one of the world's largest oil producers come 2022, or that we would be able to export natural gas to Europe or let alone anywhere else. But at a time of high oil prices, in the latter part of you know, 20, 2007, 2008, was a lot of the innovation development that led to the shale revolution. Okay, so from that, my point being, this is how the things look on the ground right now. But this is also something you want to keep an eye on and see about new innovations in regards to um, greater production from oil fields, natural gas fields, greater technological advances in regards to um, some of the ancillary things that have uh, that draw on crude oil, such as you know different types of fuels and such. 
this is probably not something that will last as long as it may feel like it could based upon the current conditions because this is the great incubator of change, these type of conditions. So I'm not pessimistic. It may sound like I am pessimistic. I'm not because this is where this is where people innovate and make great changes. And I'm just going to keep my eyes out and watch for them because the thing that we're probably – there's several things we're probably not even going to think about that are going to happen within the next couple of years. It's going to make things actually better for the marketplace going forward. Well, and that's a good note to end this on. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for sharing your insights with the Plastics Today audience once again. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure. And as always, it's been very informative. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And with that, I say goodbye for now.